Welcome back to another edition of The Shade Chamber, guest starring Aster from Chill with Aster. This episode continues our discussion on the tactics used by Genshin Impact and casinos to encourage player spending. We recommend watching or listening to the previous episode, episode 16, before starting this one. Tonight, we shift our focus from game and experience design to the social aspect of player spending, including player communities, social media, and the parasocial attachment to game characters themselves. Before we begin, we have a huge announcement. On June 26, the Raiden Shogun's birthday, the Shade Chamber YouTube channel reached 1,000 subscribers and became a YouTube partner. This was our dream when making this show, and we are incredibly grateful to you all. As a token of our appreciation, we have a silly little gift coming soon. Make sure you're subbed to us so you don't miss it when it drops. We're also rolling out YouTube channel memberships. Now, the Shade Chamber will always be a labor of love, and our only goal is that our audience enjoys and shares our work. But channel memberships will help offset the cost of website overhead, equipment and software, and the hundreds of energy drinks it takes to bring you this good content. For just $1 a month, you can support the channel and proudly display an official Illuminati badge next to your username. Channel members will also have a say in choosing our official channel emojis. There are only four emoji slots available, so act fast and make sure your favorite Shade Chamber meme is represented. So, thank you for tuning in, happy belated pride, trans rights are human rights, and now, on to the episode. Speaking of it as a spectator sport, that is another huge factor into how Genshin entices its customers is because this game exists very much in a social media sphere. And so the FOMO and the social pressure coming from seeing other people flex their roles, you wanting to flex your role. And even if, you know, your roles bomb and you get a chi-chi or whatever, like at least, you know, you can cheer and boo with your friends online and and participate in the ritual together. Mm-hmm. I mean, a casino is the same thing if you go in a group. I think with casinos, even even just among strangers, like the slot machines are placed next to each other in close proximity to other human beings. Like you're probably going to feel a little bit of envy on the people who win a jackpot if they're sitting right next to you. But like that might just motivate you to just keep rolling yourself. Yeah, because we feed into each other's hype. You know, we're a social animal, but you have to go to a casino to feel that. And Genshin, it's like you pop it on, you can roll and then flex anytime you want. Just post it to Twitter. When it's on Twitter and a new character drops and you just see a surge of all your mutuals posting like, oh shit, I got Kaveh. Yeah, yeah. Oh fuck, I didn't. Then it's like as compulsive as, you know, posting a trending hashtag. It's like, yeah, I want to be in on this. I want to be here in this moment. Hilarious story. But um, speaking of the hype and it going to people's head, I remember when Wander first dropped, that was a whole mess on Twitter. But I had a friend in the dead of midnight just messaged me, asked me for a call, and he just went, why did I do it? Like, what do you mean? Why did I pull for Wander? Oh <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, this is your fault. You you started posting. And I was like, oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. I, oh, no. I don't want to say that your Scaramouche content, you could probably quantify how many Wanderer roles resulted from your work, but I've, but I've said it now. <laughs> FOMO is huge. You get caught up in the social media craze and it helps that there is a limited window of time for you to roll. You want to be in that hype train for the three weeks that the banner's up. 
And that's just social media engagement. Something that's as or even more important is the creation of fan works. You know, people drawing fan art for the characters that just came out, making lore videos about them, writing fic. It's like we said in our episode about shipping, all of this fandom aftermarket is keeping these characters, which are the products being sold, in the public consciousness. It's basically just like organic, word-of-mouth, free advertising that could intrigue people into rolling for those characters. I remember a comment we got when we were talking about Tower of Fantasy, and the commenter was like, I know Tower of Fantasy is dead in the water because no one is drawing fan art of it. If these characters are not living rent-free in people's heads, then you have failed. On that note, keeping characters in people's heads, what's the best way to do that? Well, they gotta do big damage numbers, but the other thing these collection of game files need to do is convince you that they're in love with you, or that it would be nice to hang out with them at least. Parasociality. This is absolutely another major pillar of the tried-and-true gotcha game monetization method. We went into this a little bit in our chipping episode. Not only is getting way too attached to fictional anime people a time-honored tradition, it is the foundation that the gotcha genre is built upon. They want you to like these people so much that you make a dumb financial decision over them. If you want to learn more about the parasocial climate that Genshin kind of came from, there's uh, several papers out by Patrick W. Galbraith about early otaku culture. And there's a reason why this genre took off first in Japan, a country that is known for having a lot of disenfranchised single young men. Like in one paper, Galbraith talks about the otaku maid cafe phenomenon and its prevalence in Japan. This paper is like from over a decade ago. But the main thing is the patrons of a maid cafe know it's not real. They know that they are paying for a facsimile of affection from performers, but that's good enough for them. It's convenient. It's much more predictable. And it brings some kind of value into their lives. And like, that's why these industries exist. Is there you're buying a performance of some person that's attracted to you? In the gotcha game, the conceit of the story is you're building your harem. It might not be that explicitly, but usually the characters you roll are your subordinates in some way. They work under you, they're contracted to you, something like that. And they don't really interact with the world outside of the player. You know, you pick your favorite character and then they hang on your home screen in a gotcha game and they'll give you like a, hello, master, welcome back. How was your day? And they're like, you're creepy little. <laughs> it's not slick, but it works. Genshin's way of like, because it's teetering on the dating sim vibe, but uh, before Sumeru, there was a pretty big critique about Genshin's characterization. Genshin is much more tactful with it than something like Fate Grand Order because Kind of like the ships, the haremization potential of it, it's exactly as much as you want to read into it. Like, you don't have to read the characters that way. Uh, In Genshin, you're not the master of these characters. You're not their boss. These people have a life when they're not traveling with you. The fact that they have friendships and rivalries and, and social connections to each other independent of the player character does a lot to kind of hide the waifu stank that Genshin was built on. Mm -hmm. I think in in one of the studies that you linked, Aster, 
it kind of goes back into the social media, but like rolling these characters as an aesthetic validation is like, yeah, this is my brand. Like I'm into this character. This is my little son and I need him in my life. I will pay the money. This virtual person puts a smile on my face. So you take that and you put that in the format of a slot machine. And not everyone is going to want to roll for everyone based on attraction, but that is why they shotgun these characters that are different combinations of traits that will push different buttons for different people. It doesn't have to be like creepy harem stuff, but these characters are designed to sell. They are big marketable. They really are, honestly. Like as much as I would love to say that, no, they're not. Yeah, the whole wander thing. Uh, kind of disproved any resistance to the idea. That man <laughs> that. got a sleeveless tight turtleneck and a cat form. <laughs> they wanted to sell him like a hot cake. <laughs> they, they didn't uh-huh. need to show like the little bit of skin on his shoulder, but they were like, ah. <laughs> but we're <laughs> we gonna. We're, doing. we're going to do <laughs> this and it's going to sell 30,000 more keychains. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like these character designs are are indeed to be appealing but just as important is that they are readable like when you see a gacha character you know immediately what their personality is what they're all about and most importantly whether you want to buy them or not like these characters actual designs are based on a real visual language spanning decades of otaku media you can see this design process in action on Naoki Saito's YouTube channel, specifically his videos where he draws what he thinks Genshin characters look like from vague hints. Saito-sensei is an otaku industry character designer, and as he talks to you through his thought process, he's not drawing his interpretation of the character. He's trying to guess the actual design decisions that the company made when designing that character. And his Genshin character guesses are often shockingly on point it does unfortunately mean that like characters have to be kind of palatable like i really want people who are more just pieces of shit but i understand that they aren't an appealing sales tactic what we we will never have there aren't characters who are pieces of shit right in front of my child we want more (laughs) let me say let me say there will never be a genshin character who hates kids even scaramouche likes kids but the thing about genshin is that not only do they market the character demo, the character trailer, and those little like pieces of information where they start talking about each other, another important thing is their character stories that are released alongside them. I think that's like one of the most important marketing tools that Genshin has that differentiates their characters, their products from a lot of other gacha games. Exactly. That immediate uh, character story that introduces you to who, who, who is this person, like something like that. Yeah. They're really good at, like, laying the hype and then delivering on it. Like, I remember in uh, early Inazuma when Arataki Ito was just a name on a message board. And we're like, oh my god, there's Oni in this game. And he sounds like a crazy dude. And then just getting, like, little drifts of that until we get the character design. And then, then you learn about him. It's, like, awesome. Yeah, and I mean, I'll bet you that, like, the inclusion of the character stories convinced people who were on the fence about rolling a character or indifferent to it to actually roll a character. You know, it's it's the small details that will really get people going, you know? I mean, we have, we have that internal meme of, like, you know, Paimon always saying, like, Oh, I thought Ito was going to be a shithead, but he's actually pretty reliable! Like, every single character quest. Yeah, here's the, <laughs> this is a Shade Chamber drinking game. Every time you're doing a character story quest and a Paimon says, 
wow, I thought this character was gonna be really negative trait, but they're actually really dependable. Drink the whole bottle and die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can only unlock one character quest a day, but it will just turn you into an alcoholic at that point. <laughs> that is their favorite selling point phrase, and as soon as you start noticing it, you will go insane. I'm on the walking advertisement, honestly. Mm-hmm. Genshin does something differently in terms of his parasocial relationships, which is really interesting in that they turn their voice actors into PR people for the game. The, the voice actors are encouraged to take up streaming, are encouraged to interact with the fans directly through fan events, through signings at you know anime conventions, which is, is not super unusual for like anime-based media, but they their accessibility via like platforms like Twitch make it a lot more in your face. And so when you are rolling for these characters you are not just establishing a parasocial relationship with the character itself but also with the voice actor behind that who is capable of reacting to you in real time answering your questions responding to your memes and getting in on the like fan work and humor that surrounds the character that they voice and that's something that we have never ever seen in english language like english language weeb culture i should say because in Japan, obviously, like, say you are a huge selling point. They have their own fandoms, regardless of what characters they voice. Like, you put the right say you on a character, people will buy that character. This kind of coincides with the rise of, like, streamers and even VTubers. It's like, people are used to interacting with these digital one-way personalities. And now they're cashing in on that to help sell gotcha characters. So that is just one more vector to get you engaged with the game. How involved was Hoyoverse in setting up this very interesting parasocial dynamic around their characters, or was this just a complete accident that coincided with the rise of like streaming and VTubers, like we mentioned? I think people were craving it. Hollow Life English and Genshin dropped in the same month. A lot of those VAs are in their like early 20s, and they're young enough to be hip to that kind of stuff, so I think it was, it was almost an inevitability. It's a perfect storm, yeah. It's a good business choice. You know? Yeah, it is. But it is also such a double-edged sword because it's no secret that parasocial relationships with real people, as opposed to fictional ones, has so much more potential for danger. Like, on the one hand, you're asking your employees to put themselves out there on the internet and kind of erode their privacy and their safety and sanity by exposing them to people out there who take things too far. And on the other hand, the worst possibility is what we saw with Tainari's old voice actor, where you've enabled a monster to use their position to, to prey on people. I would kill to see the voice actor contracts. I would absolutely mm -hmm. just murder somebody. I want to know. Because they definitely have, like, some conduct clause. It's from the way they act and from the things that they do and the things that they don't do. It's like, you know, there's, like, Disney cast member-ass rules of, like, what you can do as a representative of the brand and the character. MiHoYo is really good about cultivating a fandom. Oh, there was that um, one article where, like, they talk about, like, we are catering to otaku we are catering to the people who participate out of love and part of that is kind of letting your creators run amok a little bit just enough to get people excited and get people engaged with the brand they are very lenient um, yes i think this is the first time that i've seen from a, a company like this where they have so many fan events 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually decently treat their content creators very well. Yeah. And not just from like, you know, the incentives and stuff, but also from the from the copyright, like even just the copyright of the music and the product that really fosters the Genshin identity, quote unquote. Yeah, it is incredible how lenient they are with that. You know, on the one hand, you have fucking bullshit like Nintendo going after fan covers of their timeless beloved songs. And then here's Genshin who's like, we know you love our music. We know that there is no way you could present it as being anything but our music. Like, have some fun. You can make a little money if you want. Just don't pretend that you're actually us. Because they, they, they know they own the market. They know that they are, they're basically getting advertising for free. Yeah, exactly. It's free advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're smart. Like, whoever is, like, Manning Genshin's team, they're very, they're, they're very smart about all of this. They, they've been paying a lot of attention to this kind of fandom and this kind of player base. But also, like, their leniency and their encouraging of the fans, like, Let's not mistake that for any kind of beholdenment to the fans, because here's where it's very interesting. Genshin really cares about being a good product. And the fact that we enjoy it is almost completely secondary. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's what is so crazy. I am a cranky old woman, and I've played a lot of live service games. And boy, there are a lot of entitled players for games that are free. I have never seen a a free-to-play game give less of a shit about its players while also being the best product that it could be. This all kind of goes back into the video you made of, like, what would kill Genshin. And the bottom line is the whales. And the whales... Whales are really easy. That's why gambling is illegal, because whales are super easy to make money off of. But also... They make something that whales find is worth whaling for. Mm-hmm. In that the article I linked, the interview with uh, the whales of Genshin, that was like kind of like my biggest takeaway moment. It was like when they say that we whales paid for the anime. I'm happy to whale for this company because at least if they're going to just take my money, they're putting it back into the product. You know, yes, Genshin was super stingy with its first anniversary. And yeah, it was really shitty that they didn't even acknowledge the players and give them any rewards. It's definitely easy to see it from both sides because that's your casino comping is the anniversary rewards. It, It wouldn't hurt so much if it wasn't such an innately exploitative relationship. Yeah. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you can give me some of those roles because they cost you nothing. It's made up. But then they use that money to hire the greatest opera soprano in China. Oh, man. Like, we, how could we complain about that? I remember when people got so mad at the anniversary. Like, on one hand, I get it because, you know, yeah. I, I wanted the, uh, the free primo jumps. But uh, orchestra, it's a full-blown concert. It yeah. Just, it was so good. It was incredible. It is. It would be so easy for them to just like spend that money on jet skis and blow, but they are actually making something incredible with it. As we always say, the question to ask about Genshin is not, uh, why is this good game so scummy? It is, why is this scummy game so good? That was kind of one of the like sobering things about uh, the 2010s, like early on, just the notion that developers don't really want to make a 
nice packaged product that they can essentially wrap up and sell. They want to make a service or a platform that you're just kind of constantly paying into or like a money generating machine for them. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah. And what kind of makes Genshin the outlier is that it's a product that people would probably want to engage with, even if it didn't have the predatory practices. That's what's so mm-hmm. crazy about it. I always think about like, what would Genshin look like if it was doing the $60 retail model? I mean, it would probably be <laughs> at least three games by now. Yeah, those regions aren't going to pay for themselves. Like, I'm, it'd be kind of interesting to see, like, an overlay of, like, you know, Breath of the Wild, like, Hyrule on top of the existing space in Genshin, kind of see, like, you know, how much, like, fake square mileage is kind of covered. And they're definitely putting, like, a Zelda-length story in every single region. Imagine if you pay $60, but you still have limited time events. (laughs) Imagine if you paid $60. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you just add Bonstat. I'm really interested to see the launch of Honkai Star Rail next week, not because I plan on, like, continuously playing it, but just to see, like, the lessons they learned and everything sort of in place now <laughs> versus, like, when Genshin started, because it's going to be, like, kind of a snapshot of, like, their progression at launching products now. Yeah. So so that's basically it, just kind of talking about the, the mechanisms that make Genshin work as a business. Aster, thank you for putting up with us. It has been an absolute pleasure. We are so psyched to have you on and and, and learn from you and have you tolerate our bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Statistically, literally nobody watches us who hasn't heard of you, but if they haven't, where can they find you? They can probably find me in Chills with Aster. If you see the Kenny from South Park uh, profile picture, that's me. <laughs> um... As usual, this has been the Shane Chamber. And with our customary sign off. No! Uh... <laughs> 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 Alright. Aster, well, how do you usually close out? Uh, I just say, my name is Aster, and thank you for chilling with me. <laughs> Jennifer Shin, don't come near us. Alright. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>